Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The emphasis is passing the budget this term, which includes funding for the migrant mission uh, through uh, the middle of next year. The state has helped the city of Chicago to some extent, um, but there's no question um, that there does need to be more support. Hi, everybody. I'm Fran Spielman. My guest this week is Mayor Brandon Johnson, City Council Floor Leader and handpicked Chairman of the Zoning Committee. Alderman Carlos Ramirez Rosa, welcome back. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Fran. Brandon Johnson has been tested since day one by the migrant crisis. We've had 18,000 asylum seekers descend on Chicago. There is no end in sight. Nearly 4,000 migrants sleeping on the floors of police stations O'Hare and Midway. This week, Mayor Johnson faced another test. He unveiled a $16.6 billion city budget for the first time in his tenure. And not surprisingly, with the financial pressures of the crisis, the mayor is asking his supporters to settle for a down payment on his ambitious progressive promises. Carlos, why should progressives who have waited forever to elect one of their champions as mayor of Chicago be satisfied with the slow but steady progress that he makes here? Well, I think uh, the key word there is steady. Um, This mayor has made it clear that in the face of our city's challenges, he does not flinch, our city does not flinch. And his team found a way to close and they did it in a progressive way. Uh, They didn't balance the budget on the backs of working families. Instead, they did what progressives have long called for uh, and declared the largest TIF surplus in the city's history. Um, And that has meant uh, that we were able to invest in critical progressive policies like Treatment Not Trauma. We're going to reopen two mental health clinics uh, next year. So we're making progress towards undoing the harm caused under Mayor Rahm Emanuel. And we're going to bring back the Department of the Environment. And those are just two of the um, progressive uh, policies in this budget. So it's a good budget. It's a great budget. Uh, It's investing in the things we'd like to see invested in. Absolutely. We've got a long more way to go, but this is a great start. But the Johnson administration is doing a lot of the financial tricks that every other mayor I've ever covered has done to paper over the problems and postpone the day of reckoning. A TIF surplus of $437 million, the highest in 15 years, if not ever. Refinancing bonds to generate $90 million. 
carrying over 50 million from last year's unspent balance. Personnel savings, $41.5 million, closing out vacant positions, wherever that's going to come from. Relying on improved revenue projections when we might be headed into a recession to generate $187 million and somehow stronger revenue enforcement. How is this not the same old stuff? Um, I think you just listed a lot of really good things. Uh, efficiencies, savings on personnel, closing out positions that you know you're not going to be able to fill anytime soon to help balance the budget. Again, TIF surplus, you know, there was a study that was done out of DePaul University some years ago that found that on average, a developer only had to donate $5,000 to an elected official in order to be the recipient of TIF largesse. And our former, uh, you know, Cook County uh, clerk, David Orr, would do an annual assessment of where TIF money was going. And he found that by and large, overwhelmingly, it was going to connect the developers, some of the wealthiest people in the city. And so using those TIF funds to instead balance the budget to say we're not going to ask working class Chicagoans to pay more in regressive uh, taxes. We're not going to ask working class Chicagoans to pony up even more on their property taxes, even though their property taxes keep going up and up and up. This is good progressive policy. Um, so I'm really pleased uh, to see uh, the mayor turn to a TIF surplus. The TIF surplus also benefits our schools. Uh, our schools will actually be the biggest beneficiary of this TIF surplus. So they Always. will get the bulk of that money. Yeah. Always. Um, and, yeah. And, and I think some of those other things that you mentioned, um, bond refinancing, that's just common sense, good tactics. I think the biggest change here is in the past, we were told by Mayor Rahm Emanuel, we were told by Mayor Laura Lightfoot that we had to raise property taxes uh, in order to balance our budget. This budget doesn't do that. And at the same time, it's investing 307 million more towards covering our pension debt and our pension obligations. So I think this well, is a good Well, that part is uh, good, but budget. I mean, how is refinancing debt to generate 90 million not scoop and toss? Well, because is, it isn't scoop and toss. Scoop and toss is a very specific uh, financing Well, when tool. you refinance, you, 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 you extend the debt and saddle another generation of taxpayers with that, those payments. It, you know, it's similar to when you refinance your home. People yeah, I know. And that, that, that home extends with a, with the a, debt. <laughs> that extends yeah. the debt and yeah. makes it longer to refinance. Refinancing means you have longer to pay for the loan and more people for more years are going to be saddled with that debt. Well, I think that paying down our pension obligations and paying down our pension debt with an additional 307 million more in supplemental payments. So this is on top of what the city is required to do. That is really helping to that bring part, down yes, but, yes, but the cost this of the When you refinance bonds, that's, that is a form of scoop and toss because you are extending debt for more years and settling another generation of taxpayers with these payments. So, so scoop and toss is a very specific type of refinancing tool. The city phased out the use of that predatory um, measure years ago. So this is not scoop and toss. Um, legally, financially, it is not that. But what I will say is that our budget director, Annette Guzman, she comes out of Cook County. She did an amazing job there. And so I trust that she's competent. I trust that she knows what she's doing and that she is setting us on the right track uh, for years to come. 
How is it realistic to budget only $150 million for the migrant crisis for all of next year when the city is already spending right now upwards of $30 million a month and when the caravan of buses arriving from Texas is only going to ramp up even more in the run-up to the convention next August? Yeah, yeah no, that's a great question. And... Um, the administration had initially allocated about $200 million in their projection. Which uh, was to, short on its own. That's short yes. too. And and that was short because we're going to ask the state of Illinois to step up the same way that New York State has and help reimburse about half of the costs that the city incurs, as well as operate its own shelters. The state of New York is operating its own shelters in the city of Chicago, uh, this administration has opened up 23 shelters. That's one shelter every six days since taking office. Um, and we are well aware that 150 million will not cover the expenses for an entire year. However, we did adjust our uh, estimated costs downward because of the president's announcement that uh, Venezuelan refugees will receive temporary protected status. Based upon the city's internal numbers, we believe that a vast majority of the Venezuelan refugees currently in city of Chicago shelters will qualify for temporary protected status. This will mean that sooner rather than later, they will receive work permits and they will begin uh, to uh, be resettled uh, in permanent housing um, that will no longer require the city uh, to provide support. So right, but what if the governor and the General help. Assembly doesn't do the half of of this burden then, that you're then, asking then half, them to then do? Half, What's plan next, B? Yeah, then halfway next year, we're going to have to have that difficult conversation. Now, the governor and the Speaker of the House have said that during this veto session, so during uh, you know this month, this fall, they don't have any plans uh, to act on um, you know helping the city of Chicago incur these costs. But we still have next year to figure that out. And I when think that there's no question. When you say the difficult conversation, what is the difficult conversation going to be when they say no, when they ignore the plea? We're going to have to cross that bridge when we get there because we do well, have enough money right where now. Where will the mayor turn? So in other words, the city council would be asked again to approve a supplemental budget to cover what the state is not covering and what you're assuming they will cover. That's that's possible. That's possible. I think there's no question that the state money, of Illinois. What money, look, there's, there's only one. There's only one entity in the state of Illinois that has stood up and said, "We are going to meet this moment. We're going to put our pants on and we're going to find a way to provide shelter to the people that are being brought here." Many times, not at their own will, right? They're being tricked into coming here, and we are going to provide them with shelter. It is incorrect and it's not right that the state of Illinois has not done the same. Now, under Lori Lightfoot, they did open up hotels. It was a very costly operation. It, it didn't quite make sense the way that it was structured. Under this mayor, um, the state has said, hey, you're kind of on your own. And they have helped with some expenses. I do want to make that clear. They have helped with some resettlement expenses, but they haven't helped to the same level as the state of New York. And I think that we as the city of Chicago should be able to expect the same support from our state government, as important as the city of Chicago is to the regional economy, to the state's economy. Um, we are the crown jewel of the city of the state of Illinois. There's no question about that. We're the crown jewel of the Midwest. And so the state of Illinois absolutely must step up. A small right, city government. Supplemental budget. This. 
what will the supplemental budget, what will the source of revenue be if the state ignores we will, the we will have we will, ha we will have to cross that bridge when we get there but quite honestly I, I just don't see how the state can continue to ignore the plea much longer so but i guess we'll have to have that conversation what tax would you turn to what you would you have no choice but to ask for a property tax increase look, look, there, look there are reserve funds um you know there there's other potential sources of funding there's also Where? an opportunity we will have to cross that bridge when we get there um, but I think that's right gonna now be, that's going to be a tall order for this city council, which is becoming increasingly, look, increasingly restless and angry about these these shelters that are opening up like every other minute, it seems. And, and communities are fighting back. They don't want them. Amundsen Fieldhouse, people are upset. They're upset all over the place. How are you going to get a supplemental and, and appropriation think, through I, this city council? And, and to your point, Fran. I think that that cuts both ways. You know, that cuts towards the city, but it also c cuts towards the state. And in the end, we need each other. You know, I, as a local elected official, have very deep relationships with my state senators, with my state representatives. Every single alderman has uh, relationships with their state uh, senators, state representatives. And my perspective here as well is that this situation is changing day by day. So while we may have projections and we may have some thoughts in terms of where we're going to be at six months from now, we're actually not quite certain about that. The situation at the border is changing. Uh, Biden has shifted his immigration policies a number of times. So I think the city is being judicious uh, and being smart by saying, look, we're going to allocate money for the next six months uh, to cover these costs. Um, we expect that once temporary protected status kicks in and people get their work permits, the number of people requiring assistance from the city of Chicago will decrease uh, substantially. Um, and as we approach, you know, the uh, three month mark into this year, the four month mark, then we can assess and figure out really what is the cost moving forward. And we have time to figure out how can we continue to partner in a more meaningful way with our uh, you know, state officials. Uh, and if we need to, how can we allocate more uh, dollars towards the migrant mission? Isn't it time for you and the mayor to stop playing good cop, bad cop with Governor Pritzker and the mayor to join you in your your <laughs> criticism of the governor for not doing more here? You know, I, I think that right now the focus is on passing Bring Chicago Home, which is a hallmark uh, issue for this administration, which will generate over $100 million per year uh, to address long-term homelessness. Um, so Chicagoans living on the south side, the west side, who have been experiencing homelessness for a very long time so that we can have a dedicated source of revenue to get them into supportive housing. Um, the emphasis is passing the budget this term, which includes funding for the migrant mission uh, through uh, the middle of next year. Um, and then um, I, I think that there, there will have to be uh, continued conversations around, uh, you know, the partnership between the city and the state. The state has helped the city of Chicago to some extent, um, but there's no question um, that there does need to be more support. Uh, and I think that we will have that conversation. Um, it, well, the conversation has been ongoing, but I, I think it, the, that conversation will continue uh, in the weeks and months to come. But why is the mayor being timid about going after Pritzker? <laughs> that, that's a that's an interesting uh, word choice. I, I think that, you know, the mayor is um, at his heart an organizer. He's a uniter. 
Uh, he is someone who um, wants to work collaboratively with with everyone. Um, and uh, I think that what you see is is his approach towards um, working with people. Um, and, um, you know, I, I think that our, our prior mayor sometimes would, would be very combative and, and it wasn't necessarily uh, to the to her benefit and, and more importantly, to the benefit of the city. So uh, I, I think that, you know, the mayor is uh, taking a very uh, smart, uh, strategic approach. And at that and at the core, that is who he is. He is genuinely a charismatic, nice person um, who's very likable uh, and uh, definitely is, is a great person to be around. So he's the anti Lori. <laughs> he's, he's the Brandon Johnson of the city of Chicago, uh, the greatest freaking city in the world. But in fact, sometimes Chicagoans want their mayor to stand up for them. Isn't it time, and some Chicagoans feel it's past time, for the mayor of Chicago to say, no more, we can't handle any more of these busloads? Well, the city of Chicago has already made contact with bus companies, with elected officials, with nonprofits uh, in uh, the southwest of the United States. The request to coordinate better and the request to not send buses to the city of Chicago, that request has already been made. Um, at the same time, you know, we have to be realistic. Um, the mayor standing up and beating his chest and saying, don't send buses here is not going to stop anyone from sending buses. Um, the city has actually had more success dealing. Not but he could the turn media. them around, couldn't he? Couldn't he say no? How, we, how we could we do that? We're going to sequester buses? <laughs> Only the U.S. Marshals can do that. This is interstate travel. Um, so there, there is no way. Uh, so he that, can't stand you know, at the border and say, don't bother coming in. We're not allowing it. That would be a piece of political theater that would not have the impact um, that, you know, those who might be proposing that uh, think it would. Um, you know, would it get some headlines? Uh, sure, absolutely it would. But would it actually stop the flow of buses? No, it would not. I mean, look, we have to look at what occurred some years ago. Um, Vice President Kamala Harris went to Guatemala and she stood there and in front of, you know, um, a large audience and on national TV and on international news, she said, don't come. Don't come to the United States. Did people stop coming? No, they did not. People continue to make the dangerous trek. So we have to understand that there are push and pull factors. Um, and the biggest pull factor here is our history's nation as a beacon of hope, as a nation of immigrants, as a welcoming nation. At our core, that is who we are. Immigration, whether it be you know, people coming from the South, fleeing um, Jim Crow in the South and migrating to the city of Chicago or Puerto Ricans coming to Chicago for economic, uh, you know, uh, opportunities. Immigration, migration, new arrivals to our city is the lifeblood of our city. It renews us. Um, it makes us who we are. Um, and so that is what attracts people to great cities like Chicago. That's what attracts people to great nations like the United States of America. So, you know, a politician beating their chest and saying, don't come, don't come, that's not an effective uh, measure. We've, we've been there, we've tried that, it doesn't succeed as long as the conditions exist in the home country that push people. And as long as the conditions exist in this country, which pull people here as a beacon of hope, people are gonna continue to come. And, and there is no way legally or rhetorically that you can prevent that or stop that. 
Why haven't we heard anything more about these uh, winterized base camps, these tent cities? Where and when are these going to open? The temperatures are dropping. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things I, I don't call them tent cities, I call them prefabricated shelters. Um, these uh, prefabricated shelters um, have HVAC. Uh, right, I know what they are, 70, but where are they going to be? Degrees. Do you have locations? So my, or when is so my, when are they going to open? So my understanding is the city is looking at all of the options. Um, they are out every single day in the field assessing the different possibilities. Uh, the soil needs to meet certain requirements. Of course, have they have identified any. So there are a number of locations that have been identified. Um, I would not be able to tell you whether or not a location has been finalized, um, but there's a number of locations that I know are being assessed currently. But can you tell me where? That I would not be able to say, no. Are there several that have been identified? So I, I don't know if there's several locations that have been identified as um, places that we're moving forward with. I do know that there have been several locations that have been scouted that are being looked at um, and uh, that, you know, the moment that an, a, a location is identified and found to be acceptable, I'm sure that the local elected official and the community and the council as a whole uh, will begin to be notified. How quickly are we likely to see these times of wasting? So my understanding is, is that um, the company that was chosen to um, to erect this can do it within 72 hours once uh, a location is uh, identified. Um, and so I, I think the, the biggest challenge right now has been identifying a location. If it's privately owned, you then have to negotiate with the property owner. The property owner might not even be interested in negotiating with the city. Um, negotiations sometimes can take a very long time. These are you know legal instruments. There's liability to be discussed. There's a lot of uh, I's that need to be dotted and T's that need to be crossed. Um, so there's a number of reasons um, why this process has been taking longer than any of us would have liked it to take. Um, but the process is uh, occurring and happening. And I, I think that we will know sooner rather than later uh, where this first uh, prefabricated shelter will be set up. And that 72-hour company has been very controversial in itself, Garter World, and there's pushback to that. You know, I, I've been out knocking doors in my community. I have not heard any pushback from my residents. What I have heard from people is that they understand that the city's in a very difficult position, um, that they're proud of our mayor for standing up for our compassionate values um, and for, you know, doing the job that other elected officials have not wanted to do. Um, and they understand the difficulties involved. Now, I do know that, you know, there were some headlines and, uh, you know, there kind of was in an echo chamber, a sense of, you know, some concerns around those contract around this contract. And those are valid concerns. Um, you know, this company is a military contractor. They have been involved in a lot of nasty conflicts across the globe. The difficulty here is that when you're looking to erect a prefabricated shelter as quickly as possible, and I've spoken with some local contractors um, who do a lot of big work, big project managers, and they're like, I wouldn't even know how to begin to set that up, right? It would take me six months to a year to figure out how to set up a prefabricated shelter. Um, so this company, they know how to do it. They can do it quickly uh, once a location is identified. Um, you know, obviously it was the state of Illinois that first entered into a contract with this company. 
um, and the city piggybacked off of that contract uh, in order to move expeditiously to set this uh, prefabricated shelter up. And um, ultimately, um, you know, the city is working with immigration advocacy groups, with community groups, uh, with human rights groups, uh, because we're going to work to make sure that no one in any shelter uh, operated by the city of Chicago is subjected to harm and that we are doing everything possible to protect people's basic human rights and human dignity. There's a slight increase in the Chicago Police Department's budget and the mayor's budget, but there are reductions. A re, uh, the community policing section is more than doubling, but the Bureau of Patrol will drop by almost 300 officers. Narcotics and gang intelligence and vice and SWAT and traffic and asset forfeiture, all of those are taking hits. How do you justify that at a time when your constituents, everybody really around Chicago, are concerned about the spike in robberies and overall crime? So the budget recommendation that you see is the result of the Chicago Police Department going through and sifting through their budget and determining what are the strategic choices that should be made. The police budget, as you noted, is going up. We're gaining 200 detectives um, through it, continuing the practice of civilianization. Uh, 70 people, 70 police officers who are currently doing desk work will be out on the beat, out on the uh, street doing policing work. Um, and there's also a recognition that right now, across the board in government positions, whether it's nursing, teaching, or specifically in this case, policing, we're having a difficult time finding sufficient recruits. Um, so the city really has to be strategic in um, the choices that it makes to accomplish our public safety goals um, and CPD work very judiciously to go through their budget and figure out, all right, how are we realistic about the year to come around hiring um, where do we need to expend more resources? Where do we need to shift resources around? Um, and that's what they've done with this budget. Um, and um, I, I think it's a, a very good budget overall. Don't we need to realign where we put the police officers? I mean, the, that's been a, a constant demand. There have been studies about staffing allocation, and yet we've never seen that done because it's a robbing Peter pay Paul thing. So my understanding is, and you know, I've had many conversations with city officials over the years around this. My understanding is, is that the city of Chicago works with the University of Chicago Crime Lab to look at a number of data points and ascertain where uh, police staffing should be allocated. Um, We've been told in the past, and when I say we, I mean my, myself and other older people, that we can't uh, uh, be really uh, told more than, than what I just explained to you, um, that the way that this formula and the way that this assessment works is, uh, you know, private as to not, you know, uh, jeopardize, uh, you know, the policing strategy for the city of Chicago. Um, but, you know, I, I think that there's sometimes a, a false sense that the squeaky wheel gets the oil and that if a community wherever it may be just yells enough when their older person yells enough that police will be reallocated towards that neighborhood that's just not true um the city of chicago works uh to assess based upon 911 calls based upon crime statistics based upon other 
uh, data points and factors where uh, police should be allocated. And I will note that, you know, while we have seen an inexcusable and unacceptable increase in certain types of violent crimes, specifically most recently robberies, uh, including in, in the community that I represent, we are at 30 year lows in terms of uh, crime in the city of Chicago. Um, so I think I it's know, important people don't want to hear that when they can't walk down the street with their girlfriend from a bar and and not worry about getting uh, robbed by people who well, and, pull and, up in and a and car and and yeah, have and, guns. As heard, and as you heard me say, the current increase is unacceptable. Right. No one should be afraid to walk through their neighborhood. No one should be afraid to go around. But it's also important for us to have a data driven approach towards good governance. And it's also important for us to have a historical and holistic understanding of where we are. And there's no question that over the past three decades, we have made a tremendous amount of progress. And I hear this in my community all the time. You know, I have people who moved here two years ago and I have people who have lived here 30, 40 years. And it's interesting sometimes to hear uh, their back and forth in, in community meetings where they'll say that the, the old timers are right, the people that have been here 30, 40 years. They're like, you don't know how it was 30, 40 years ago. Right. Things are much better now than they were in the past. So I think it's important to have that perspective because we have to have a holistic, um, factual understanding of uh, the moment that we're in to make good, sound decisions. Uh, the mayor campaigned on a promise to raise taxes by eight hundred million dollars to fund his people investments. He hasn't done any of that in this budget. He didn't use his home rule power, which is formidable, to do any of the local taxes that he could control on his own, the employee head tax, the jet fuel tax, the hotel rooms, all those things. Instead, he's going to ask the General Assembly to do something and authorize something. What is it, the service tax? What is it that he's asking the General Assembly to do? So I, I'm not quite sure if there's a firm ask as of yet. I do know that there has been some discussion, as there have been for many years, around expanding uh, the, the sales tax to include luxury services, uh, you know, things that normally uh, people with more means are able to uh, acquire where they're currently not paying, uh, you know, the, the same, uh, you know, sales tax as someone who goes and, you know, purchases something in a store. So I know there has been talked about that. I don't necessarily know if there's a firm ask or a proposal uh, around that right now. But what I will say is that the mayor is moving very ambitiously on one major uh, right. progressive right. The transaction tax, tax. And that's the, yes. that's the real estate transfer tax. Um, yes, we but that's for one specific purpose for homelessness. It does not solve the need for overall revenue to come up with some of this other money that he promised and some of the programs that he promised. So I think that, um, you know, we are making progress on the things that we were elected to do. And um, if you're saying like, well, what about the other things on the list? Well, we're checking them off one by one and we're getting through them. So, you know, a term is four years um, and I fully expect this mayor uh, to be uh, in that office, uh, you know, much longer than that. And so we're going to continue to make progress on enacting these progressive uh, revenue measures. The first one we're working on right now is uh, bring Chicago home. Uh, and there's no question that in the coming years, we're going to be faced with increasing costs 
to address the crisis of homelessness in our communities. We're going to be faced with increasing costs to ensure that families that are doubled up and tripled up in the city of Chicago have the ability to have an affordable home that they can, you know, live in. And passing why didn't Chicago he home, do more? Why didn't he do the local taxes he had under his control? Well, you know, I, I think that that may be a, a question better answered by uh, the mayor and his uh, budget director, Net Guzman. But I think that right now we have a very ambitious agenda. So from my perspective, I think we are doing more. I think we're doing a lot. Bring Chicago Home is facing a lot of pushback from deep pocketed moneyed interests. Um, and so that is going to, you know, uh, be a, a struggle. Um, it's it's a struggle in the sense that you have working class people and you have a coalition of uh, homeless advocates coming together and pushing for this against some of the richest, most powerful entities in the city of Chicago and the globe. But I think and I know and I'm confident that we're going to pass that and we're going to pass that this fall and we're going to pass the budget this fall. And then we're going to continue to make progress on all of the other things that we were elected to do. Uh, for the What's your head count going to be on this budget? How many votes is he well, going to get? Well, you know, I, I don't reveal the the roll call uh -huh. until the the time has come. But you, you know, just this deliver is, this it. You don't reveal it. Exactly, exactly. And this is a good budget. You know, we're not asking. Are you open uh, to any amendments of any substance? Will you give the alderman, for example, another employee, or you know, they've been asking for, or an increase in their menu, or any of this stuff that some people are likely to demand? So the, the budget process, we're going to have two weeks of budget committee hearings, and then we have scheduled, as other administrations have in the of past. Of course, of course, uh, but I'm few, asking you, days, how, where are you open to yeah. change here? So a, a few days for uh, budget amendments. I to know be considered that, but what, where, substantively, yeah. where are you open to change? Well, well, that I, I can't say. You know, it's it's okay. a conversation that has to occur between the mayor, between the council. Thus far, the feedback that I have gotten from my colleagues has been overwhelmingly positive. Um, and I think that people really do appreciate because they already see their priorities reflected in this budget. So I've heard from so many aldermen that were like, I'm so happy for so long. We've been asking for the Department of Innovation and Technology to be brought back this budget accomplishes that. For so long, we've been asking for the Department of the Environment, this budget accomplishes that. For so long, we've been asking, and this is a big one, not a lot of people talk about it, but this is actually huge, asking for more resources to go towards tree trimming, and this budget accomplishes that. And it accomplishes all of that without asking aldermen to raise uh, revenue off of the backs of the working families in their community. So I think this is a great budget. My colleagues that I've spoken with have shared a very similar sentiment, but obviously there's gonna be a conversation in the coming weeks as to what, if any, changes we would like to see. Carlos Ramirez Rosa, you're as good a talker as the mayor of Chicago is. Thanks for joining <laughs> us. Thank you. I'm sure you'll be back, and we will see you all next week. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.